I ask you to stand this morning and turn in your Bibles to Proverbs. That is right after Psalm. And we're going to read from Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. First, I'll read our key verse for our series, Love Letter from God, and that is John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let us pray. Hide me behind your cross, Lord Jesus. Articulate the Father's heart through my voice and let the Holy Spirit breathe new life to all of us, opening our ears to hear the message of God. Amen. You may be seated. There are 915 verses in 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, and you have probably heard at least one or two of them before. Some of them are really interesting. Some of them talk about things that are just normally applicable to people. They're all statements that are designed to give us information about how it is we relate to each other and to the world around us and also to God. One of them has to do with husbands and wives. There's a verse that says a um, nagging wife is more horrible than a dripping roof. That's probably true. I wouldn't know. I've never been the recipient of a nagging wife. I do know that nagging husbands sometimes feel just as hard. I will say there are also, uh, but there are other verses too. There are things like train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. There are things like um, a noble woman is more precious than rubies. That's found in Proverbs 31, which is actually kind of a a blessing. It's called the Escap Chael, which is something that if you are, um, if you've ever been to a Jewish Shabbat, you might have heard them actually, the husband stand up and sing that. So Proverbs 31 to his wife as a recognition of the wonderful things that she has done. It is not, by the way, a prescription for all of the things that a woman should do to be a perfect wife. It is instead a blessing that says she already does those things. So if you're reading Proverbs 31, make sure you're reading it through that lens. But Proverbs has lots of exhortations to help us see that wisdom is an important thing for us. And I picked this particular verse because I I thought there were two pieces to this verse in Proverbs that kind of help us understand the rest of Proverbs. The first is this idea, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord sounds really scary. Here we are just a few days after Halloween and lots of us, well, not me, but lots of us went trick-or-treating 
or visited haunted houses or did things where we could get scared. And the fear that we had in those instances was, was a different kind of fear than what is being talked about here. Proverbs is talking about the fear of the Lord that means you're obedient to the Lord. It's the same kind of fear that you're supposed to have with your parents. It's a respect thing. It's about being respectful and obedient to God. And it's kind of interesting that today from the lectionary, we had a passage from Mark that gave us an understanding of what it is that God expects from us. Jesus told us very clearly, here's how you can fear the Lord. Two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's pretty straightforward. If you do those things, that is demonstrating the fear of the Lord. You love God, you love your neighbor, right? We've been talking about that here since I got here. Probably you've heard that all your life, right? Love God, love your neighbor. That's really the crux of the whole entire gospel. And that's what the fear of the Lord means. So if you do those things, then the second half of the verse says... That's the beginning of knowledge. In the King James, it used to say the beginning of wisdom, but it's the beginning of knowledge. Now, there's two kind of things to that. The beginning of knowledge means that it's not all knowledge. You don't follow God and then all of a sudden you know everything. Right? We don't become holy know-it-alls. I love God, so, um, yeah. Uh, I know everything there is to know about everything. Just ask me. I can tell you. Um, well, that's great. Um, probably not true. Also, um, yeah, I don't really want that religion. <laughs> right? Because what the fear of God does is it teaches us the character of God. You see, it's really interesting that whenever we talk about what it is that we are supposed to do, it's not about like a bunch of rules, about a bunch of specific instructions that we have to follow. Even Proverbs, we can look at Proverbs and say, well, there's lots of really good information in here. But there are things in here that if we take them the wrong way, if we listen to them the wrong way, we can do things that don't make any sense. There's a verse in Proverbs that says, uh, spare the rod and spoil the child. And really that verse is about discipline. It is not a command from God to beat your children. Sorry, Jim. <laughs> it is instead a command from God to love your children enough to put boundaries around them. It's a command to love your child the same way God loves you. I don't know about you, but God has not been in the habit of like beating me with a stick. 
Sometimes it may have felt that way, but it really hasn't been true that God beats us with things. Instead, God shows us where we've made errors and teaches us how to do differently. But that's the interesting thing about Proverbs. They're a direction. They help us see things in a direction, but they don't necessarily give us detailed, explicit instructions. And it's actually kind of a picture of how we are to use all of Scripture. I believe that Scripture is inspired by God. That the things that we need to know about who God is, they're found in this book. And the things that we need to know about how to live a Christian life, those are found in here too. But there are a lot of instructions in this book that I don't follow. Not because they're not good instructions or they weren't good instructions at one point in time, but because that's not what this book is. We've spent the last several months talking about what the Bible is. The Bible is a love letter to us that gives us a picture of who God is. It's not a history book insofar as it talks about the history of all of humanity. It is not a science book. There are lots of poems and stories and things in scripture that help us see more clearly who God is and how God expects us to live. And I'm going to bottom line it for you. God is love. God is faithful. And God expects us to love him and love other people. Now, if we got that on the first try, we wouldn't need 66 books to tell us. But we're not quite so good at hanging on to the wisdom. That's why the verse says that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The longer you go, the longer you love God, the longer you love your neighbor, the longer you pray for your enemies, the more you begin to see who God is and begin to understand not only that there's more to know, but also how very far you have to go, how little you know already. The book of Proverbs is a book that was written by King Solomon, who was arguably the wisest man ever to live. That's certainly what his ask from God was. It, is also, has, it also has other just random instruction from various people throughout Hebrew history. And it gives us a picture of what it looks like to use scripture to inform our worldview. If we take some of these verses and we kind of apply them in our lives, things look different 
how we actually interact with other people. But it all starts with the fear of the Lord. That's how we can understand what it is these things mean to us now and how that's different maybe from how they applied in the days when they were written. The second half of the verse is a a sentence that says, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And And usually we have a picture of what fool means, what the word fool means, right? Fool means someone who's... um not very smart, who doesn't pay attention to things that are happening around them. But really, when, uh, when scripture in Hebrew, when they were writing this word fool, what they were really talking about was the person who absolutely stepped away from all moral law, wanted nothing to do with loving God, wanted nothing to do with loving neighbor. They wanted instead to live their lives their own way, to do the things they wanted to do. And so the first half of this book, the first half of this verse says, if you love God and love your neighbor, you can start to gain wisdom by understanding God better. And then the second half says, but if you are not interested in those things, then you're going to hate learning anything about God. That's really what that verse says. And that is a picture of how people look at this book, right? If you come to this book and you say, I'm just going to flip through here and find something that will apply to my life. Let me just randomly pick a verse here. Uh, The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Okay. I read a book once by a guy by the name of Augustus Burroughs, and um, he said his family used to do that. They would just, that was how they used their Bible. They would have a Bible on the shelf, and if they had a question, they would ask the Bible the question, And then they would flip through it and find a verse. And whatever that verse said, whatever the first verse they caught their eye on the page said, that was what they applied to their lives. Now that's um, about as great as using a magic eight ball, by the way. Um, Because really what this book is about is not about imparting individual nuggets of wisdom by picking out random verses. You can't understand any one verse of this book without understanding why it was written. Because if you go to this book and you say it's a science book, you're going to get all kinds of things wrong. There aren't, uh, as far as I know, any animals still in existence that are called leviathans. I don't know what that is exactly. No one does. Um, But it's not a scientific name for a critter. Uh, The mustard seed is not the smallest seed, by the way. There are lots of other seeds that are way smaller, but Jesus said it was the smallest seed. So if we take that as scientific information, 
I think we're missing something. That's because that's not what this book is. It is a book designed to be read and absorbed from a position of loving God and loving your neighbor. If you read the scriptures in this book and you say, how does this help me love God? How does this help me love my neighbor? That is the right way to read this. So Proverbs is kind of a fun one to read, and you can pick out individual verses out of Proverbs if you take them through the lens of how does this help me love God and how does this help me love my neighbor. Lots of people take them, verses out of Proverbs, and make plaques and things. You've probably seen them. Um, There's a really famous quote that's attributed to, um, to Mark Twain, it says, um, uh, if you wish, or how did, I'm going to get this wrong. I'm going to butcher it. I just know it. Uh, it is better to be thought a fool by being silent than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. That actually has its roots in Proverbs. There's a verse that says, if you keep quiet, you look wise. (laughs) But if you speak endless words, you appear foolish. So these verses can help us understand what wisdom looks like. But we always have to start from a position of, loving God, and loving our neighbor. And since this series is, uh, this message is part of our continuing series, words, on the love of God, I'm going to read our sort of summary that talks about what it means to say that the love of God is found in every page of scripture. What does it mean to say God loves? God loved us enough to create us, to form us from the dust. God loved us enough to let us fail, to let us choose our own way over God's, to let us chain ourselves to sin and defeat and heartbreak and sorrow and death. God loved us enough to provide a rescue, a way back through wanderers, murderers, adulterers, defaulters, promise breakers, foreigners, strangers, and lovers. God loved us enough to show us mothers, judges, kings, and prophets who loved and spoke for God and kept reminding us of the promise of redemption. God loved us enough to show us how evil and wrong continually mess things up, And how obedience to God fosters holiness and wisdom and bestows blessing. God loved us enough to send us Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, to preach and live peace, grace, hope, joy, and love. God loved us enough to see Jesus rejected, to see him die, to see him buried. 
God loved us enough to raise Jesus from the dead and send the Holy Spirit to remind us of all we have in him and empower us to live like Jesus. And God loved us enough to want us to live like Jesus, an abundant life infused with all the fruit of the Spirit, redeemed, free, loved. God loved us enough to still let us choose our destiny. God loved us enough to promise the hope of forever, of resurrection from the dead, and judgment. God loved us enough. God loves us enough. God will always love us enough. For God so loved the world. God loves you. God wants you to know it. God wants you to live in it. God wants you to be able to love others because you know you are loved. God's love is expressed to us every week, most tangibly, as we gather at this table. The son who died and yet lives gave everything so we could know the depth of God's love. So come, drink the wine, eat the bread, Know you are loved. God loves you. Go love the world with him.